This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Kevin, and I'm really looking forward to sharing the rest of our morning together. As I was listening to the words of those songs, we stand and we worship a God who loves us so much that he gave everything for us. And I thought it was fitting to sing that song on this weekend as we we pause and reflect and remember people who gave everything so that we could experience the freedom to stand and sing that song without fear of someone coming in and arresting us for practicing our faith and the freedom to enjoy and experience that. And on behalf of the women and men who have given everything, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to those of you who currently serve in the military. I know we have a number of Coast Guard families here. Thank you to those of you whose loved ones serve and uh, give of themselves. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Now, I want to be very clear right before I say what I'm going to say next, that I am not a numbers guy. Numbers don't, uh, don't do it for me. In fact, uh, my wife and I watch some friends' kids on Thursdays, and their oldest is in eighth grade right now, and he was doing algebra. And he said, hey, Kevin and Maria, could you help us with our homework? And I went in and I looked at it, and the poor guy probably screwed him up. He, you know, if he fails his test, it's my fault, because I don't get it. I don't understand numbers. That's why we have a finance pastor. Praise God for Justin, and you're very thankful. Trust me. Now that said, even though I'm not a numbers guy, there are certain numbers that get me excited. And I want to share a few of those numbers with you before we dive into this brand new series that we're launching today called Unwavering. The first number is this, and this is a snapshot from last weekend. Last weekend, we baptized 13 people, and that's a number that I get excited about. Yeah, I think that's so fun. That's 13 people who have experienced God in such a way, and he's changing and transforming our lives in such a way that they stood up publicly and said, you know what? We are going to follow God for the rest of our lives, and we want our community to know about it and celebrate it. And I love that number, 13 people that got baptized last week. Last week, we also wrapped up a series that we called Me to We. And in that series, if I could boil it down to one sentence, we were talking about the idea that we don't just want to give generously, but we want to live generously. We want to be people who are increasing in our generosity. And one of the ways that we do that is financially. And so I encouraged our church over that series to take one next step in their generosity so that we could allow God to grow our strength, our our faith and strengthen us and, and help us to trust him more as we took steps to give generously and to live generously. Now behind the scenes, you need to know that there was not a numeric goal that we were shooting for. Behind the scenes, the thing that we were praying about was that 100 households would take a step to grow their generosity. Because we thought, boy, if God can grab 100 households in our church, that represents three or 400 people in our church. That would be a great sign of movement as we are growing and in, in living generously. And here's a number that I'm excited about currently, and more people are still making their commitments right now. In fact, if you missed last week, but you wanted to make your commitment, there's a card in there, a commitment card. No pressure, but it's just a way if you were already planning on that to do that. But currently, just over 100 households made a a step in their generosity this past year, which is pretty exciting. Here's what I love about that. Jesus tells us where where your money goes, your heart, 
your energy, your time, your thoughts will follow. And as we give generously to the things of God, it just shapes every other part of us. And so I love that we took that step to not just give generously, but to live generously. And some of you have asked, well, okay, that's great. But what's the, like, what is the number? What did we decide? What did we pledge over the next 12 months? And here's, here's the pledge we've made as a church. On top of our regular giving, we said over the next 12 months, we want to give an additional $166,854 to the things closest to God's heart, which is pretty exciting. That's a big number that we can get excited about. Which is a 20% projected increase in our church's generosity this year over last year. And last year we had a 15% increase over the year before. The fact that God is doing that in our community is so exciting. And the fact that we get to use those resources to reach the cities that we love so much because God loves our cities, it's just a really, really exciting thing. So there's a snapshot of some numbers. Again, I'm not a numbers guy, but those are some numbers that get me excited. Families, households following God, taking steps, people getting baptized, their lives being changed. I absolutely love it. Uh, And what I want to do is, as we start this brand new series, is make sure we're all on the same page. And if you're a guest with us today, an extra special welcome to you. This is the best time to come to the church at the beginning of a teaching series, because these these series run for four to six weeks. And really, we're all starting from scratch right now. We're all on the level playing field, and we're all in this together. And you get the, the intro, the hook to this entire series today with the rest of us. And a few things that will help us get on the same page are found inside your program. So go ahead and grab your program right now, and grab your Start Here card, and if you would just put your name on that, and if you're a guest with us, your email address on that, that would be uh, a huge gift to us. You don't have to do anything with this card yet, but if I've earned your trust over the next 35 minutes or so, we're going to pass some baskets later, and I'll just ask you to drop this in the basket. But I'm asking you to fill this out now, because at the end of our time together, I'm going to give us some next steps to do and some, some things that you might be interested in that you're going to want to mark, but you won't have a lot of time to get this filled out then, so you want to have it ready now. The other thing you're going to want are teaching notes. They've got the Bible story that we're looking at. They've got some fill in the blanks. If you're in a life group, they've got some life group discussion questions for you. And actually, I'm going to ask everybody to go home and think about three questions this week that could shape the way that you view your life uh, and that will really shape the way that you engage with this series. And they're on your notes. So you're probably going to want to have those notes to take home with you. And as you're getting your card ready and getting your notes out, I just want to ask you a few questions. And you can, if you're a talking back sort of crew, and I know second service is, you can just say yes or you can nod, or you can stare blankly. Uh, That would be okay. But I appreciate some nodding and some yesing. So um, just answer these questions. Have you ever, have you ever had someone ask you your opinion? Oh, okay. Fantastic. Okay. Have you ever had someone ask you for your advice or for some guidance in some area of life? Yeah, it could be, could be family, could be finances, could be business, could be in school, could be on a team. Have you ever, have you ever influenced someone's life? Maybe it was a housemate, your kids, your spouse. Have you ever influenced someone's life? Oh, you have. Okay. I just want to make sure that this series is going to hit you because if you answered yes to any of those questions, there's a name for you and the name is Leader. You're a leader if you answered yes to any of those questions. John Maxwell, who has forgotten more about leadership than I'll probably ever know, defined leadership this way. He said, leadership is influence. You might want to write that down on your notes. Leadership is influence. So if you've ever influenced someone, in that moment, you were leading them. And on that definition, every single one of us sitting in a chair is a leader. 
I don't care if you're the husband or wife, you lead in your marriage because you influence your spouse. We influence our kids. We influence our coworkers. You influence the teams that you serve on, that you play on. You influence those around you. We are influencers, and influencers are leaders. And in this series, Unwavering, we're going to look at the life of uh, a man who was arguably one of, if not the greatest leader in the ancient world. And I'm not just talking about in the Bible. I'm talking about in all of ancient literature, he is one of the greatest leaders I've ever seen. And we're going to peek in on his life as he takes a journey on his greatest leadership journey of his lifetime. And we're going to look at some ways that we were designed to influence other people in a way that would, would change and transform us in the process for the better and to lead in such a way that it would empower those around us. The guy we're going to look at is a man named Nehemiah, and he was a secret service agent for the most powerful man in the 4th century BC, in the 5th century BC, a king named Artaxerxes, who was the Persian ruler, and the Persians were the ruling superpower of the time. And one of the easiest ways to kill Uh, the king in the ancient world would be to poison them. So if you wanted to overthrow a government, you poison the ruler. Once he's out of the way, you take control. And so a wise king would grab one of their most trusted advisors, and they would make them the official taster. Basically what you would do is, when they were hungry, and when they were thirsty, you would taste what they were eating and drinking. And if you didn't die in the next five minutes, it would go to the king and queen, and they would eat it. It's kind of like when I graduated from college— I was a valet parker. It was a very high-profile job. I was a valet parker, which meant this. I got to drive really, really expensive cars at three miles an hour for about 50 feet. Okay, and that was it. That's what Nehemiah did. He tasted really, really good food, really, really good wine. He would taste it, and if he didn't die, it got to go to the owner of the food and the wine, the king. Now, not the ideal job mostly because, listen, there was no retirement package. You either died or you lived. But two, because you didn't get to eat all the food. But it was very good for his health. So he's got that going for him. Now here's the thing about Nehemiah that we have to understand. Traditionally, the king would grab someone of their same ethnic group to be their cupbearer. That was the official name of this person, the cupbearer, the taster for the king. But Nehemiah is not Persian. Nehemiah is a Jewish man, and that'll come into play a little bit later. Basically, what that means is that Nehemiah believed in the God that we find in the pages of the Old and New Testament of the Bible. And if you're here and you are not a religious person, maybe you're coming with a friend, they promised you lunch afterwards, that's fine. This series will be great for you. It will impact and inform your leadership. But for those of us who would say, yeah, we're followers of the God of the Bible. This series is so important for us because God has designed us to be influencers and to influence people in such a way that it changes us in the process and that empowers them to live the lives that they were created to live. And I believe that followers of God should be the best leaders in the home, in the marketplace, and in the city, because we're following a God that designed us to lead in a unique way. And Nehemiah is going to tap into that a little bit later in this series. 
Well, we're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah's day off, and he did on his day off what we do on our day off, or maybe what you're doing on this holiday weekend. He gathered family and friends around him, and they would just talk, and they would eat and have a good time. So Nehemiah's brother comes from Jerusalem with a group of people, and they sit down, and they're having some food together. And Nehemiah says, tell me about the state of Jerusalem, because that's where he was from, and that's where his people were. That's where they believed God kind of specifically hung out in Jerusalem. It was kind of the epicenter of their faith and religious life. He said, tell me about Jerusalem, and the report he gets back is really bad. And what I want to do with the book of Nehemiah for the next six or seven weeks is we're going to do a flyover of the book, and then we're going to land on certain chapters and certain verses. But I'd encourage you, read through Nehemiah over the next seven weeks as we're going through this series. You will love this story, and you'll pick up little nuances that we can't hit. And if you don't have a Bible, when you go out these doors, there are about 30 Bibles on that table. Just grab one. It's free. Uh, It's just our gift to you. So go ahead and grab one on your way out. We're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, as he's talking to his brother on the day off. Nehemiah says this, They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And in the ancient city, a a, a broken down wall and burnt down gates meant that the people in that city were extremely vulnerable to outside tribes and outside raiders who would come in. If there was no wall to protect them, they could come in anytime, day or night, from any part of the city, and they could steal the crops, they could burn the fields, they could take the women, they could take the children. It left the city and the people in that city extremely vulnerable. Not only were they vulnerable to outside attack, their civic pride was in um, in the, it was bad. Uh, I, I said the phrase in the crapper for service, and that is not the phrase I was looking for. Um, but it came out, and I promised myself I wouldn't say it again, so I'm not saying it this service. But did you know that the toilet was actually invented by someone in his name was, I believe, John Crapper. That is a true story that I looked up on Snopes. It's actually true. So that's where that comes from. If you're ever wondering, you're not cussing, you're just citing the source, Okay. That's all I mean to say. Their civic pride was in the source. That's all we need to say about that. And then what happens, that is so funny. I can't believe I just said that twice. Come to third service, we'll just keep on going. (laughs) What happens next stuns everyone around the table. Because remember, Nehemiah is a tough guy. He's secret service. He's like the elite of the elite for the most powerful man in the world. It's like, it's like the president's core secret service agent. That's who Nehemiah was. He was a tough military and strategic guy. And what happens next stuns the group. It says this in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, now he didn't just cry a few tears. This wasn't like the end of a Hallmark movie or a Folgers commercial, okay? He didn't just finish watching Christmas Shoes. He, I know you cry at that show. He, he wept and he sobbed and cried, not just for a few minutes, for days. For days he cried. And he refused to eat. He fasted and he prayed to the God of the Bible, saying, God, what should I do? But he wasn't crying because of an architectural failure in Jerusalem. He wasn't crying because the wall had been broken down. He was, we'll find out, 
kind of a civic engineer. That was a field of expertise for him. But he wasn't crying because of an architectural failure of the wall. Nehemiah was crying because he knew how vulnerable the people of Jerusalem were. And I have three leadership principles that lay the foundation for every great leader that we're going to talk about. And the first one is this. All great leaders recognize that we are in the people business. It doesn't matter what business we're in, we're ultimately in the business of people. Nehemiah is about to lead this major civic reconstruction to rebuild the wall, but his desire to rebuild the wall ultimately comes down to the fact that rebuilding the wall will benefit the people of Jerusalem because he knew I'm not in the wall business, I'm in the people business, and my people are going to build a wall. And that's the truth for all of us, whether it's in your business, if you're a a business leader or a manager. We're not in the business of widgets. We're not in the business of production. We're not in the business of building bigger warehouses and getting more trucks. Ultimately, we are in the people business, and the people will make certain outcomes. It's the same at home. At home, we're not in the get her to stop nagging me business, get him to do the honey-do list business. We are in the people business, the relationship business, the marriage business with our kids. We're not in the get your homework done business. We're not in the stop fighting with your sister business, stop peeing in your bed at night business. I'm tired of changing diapers business, just to name a few. Uh, We are ultimately in the... (laughs) We are in the people business. He can stay all three services. At at church, can I talk to you if we lead in the church? We're not in the get enough life groups business, have our kids' classrooms open business, get all the music done right business. We're ultimately in the people business. And Nehemiah knew that. And all great leaders know that ultimately we're in the business of people. But he didn't simply recognize that he was in the people business. He did the next great leadership principle, which is this. Great leaders love the people they lead. We're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit more because that's kind of a big, fuzzy word, and I want to get specific about what I mean by love. But Nehemiah knew that this wall was going was to care for people in Jerusalem. He knew the people he was leading, even though at this point he lived far away from them. And he loved the people of Jerusalem so much so that he cried over their well-being. Not just a few tears, he wept and he mourned and he grieved for their situation. And great leaders don't just know the people. We love the people. This came into sharp focus for me about two and a half years ago, three years ago, around Thanksgiving time. I was taking a walk one day and I was praying for our church and praying for what God wanted to do in our community. And right in the middle of praying, I I sensed God say to me, and I don't mean like an audible voice or like written in the clouds, but God, the best I can explain, he impressed something on, on my, in my mind. Like he gave me a thought that wasn't my thought that was outside of what I was thinking. So I would just say, God spoke to me or impressed something upon me. And this is what I sensed God saying to me. You need to love the people of new life. I, I, that seemed odd to me because I had been your pastor for close to four years at that point. And I, I said back to God because I wanted to defend my case, which is never a good choice. 
I said, God, I, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I have set up the structure for new life in our kids' ministry, so it's better than it's ever been. We've got more life groups now than we've ever had before, giving people time and place to get into community like they never have. I I preach messages. I I spend hours with you and your word and preach messages to benefit the people. What do you mean I got to love the people? And I sense God say to me, when was the last time you cried for someone in your church? It's like, oh, God. You gotta love the people. Love the people. And that has shaped everything in my life. You remember, if you've been here for the last two or three years, you remember I came to you that next Sunday. I was like, man, God just slapped me upside the head. So I gotta love you. You're a lot of people to love. But I wanna, I wanna, I went on this journey of loving our church. And by love, I mean this we gotta love the people we lead, which means we have to have their best interest in mind in all circumstances, in all situations. We have to think about what's best for them, even over what's best for our bottom line. Because the truth is, when we love the people that we lead, when we know them and we love them, it will benefit the bottom line. Let me ask you this. Wouldn't you want to work for someone who knows you? Like really knows you, knows your hopes, knows your dreams, knows what you're good at, where your growth areas are so they can guide you into the appropriate spots. Wouldn't you want to work for someone who knows your spouse's name, knows your birthday, knows your kids? Don't you want to work for someone who knows you and then someone who doesn't just know you and uses it against you, but someone who knows you and loves you? Like genuinely, actually has your best interest in mind? Now, we would follow a leader like that almost to the ends of the earth, wouldn't we? Because at our core, we want to be known and we want to be loved. Can I ask you a second question? Don't you want to be that kind of leader for someone else? Whether it's in the marketplace, maybe you're a manager or a business owner, don't you want to be the kind of owner or manager who knows the people and loves the people? I can tell you, if that's you, the people who work for you will rise up. If that's not you, if we we fall into the danger of becoming structure-oriented, task-oriented, bottom-line-oriented, and here's what will happen. You will become the butt of conversations at the water cooler instead of the hero that they're looking to to lead the organization. And the same is true with our families. Don't you want to be the kind of husband or wife or parent who knows your kids? And I'm talking about when they hit 13 or 14 and they start acting crazy, crazy, Like, knows them, knows what they like and what they don't like, knows how to communicate to them, knows what communicates love to them. Don't you want to know your kids and then love them? We're going to talk in a little bit about the difference between loving our kids and tolerating our kids, because those two get a little blurry sometimes. (laughs) Nehemiah knows that he's in the people business. Ultimately, it's about the people that he's influencing. Nehemiah loves them. And that causes him to do something crazy. We're going we're gonna to fly over to chapter 2, verse 1. It says, It was the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, and the wine was brought for him. And I took the wine, and I gave it to the king. He had tasted it. He didn't die. Gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in the king's presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This could be nothing but sadness in your heart. And Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. Literally, he's saying, I was terrified. I was scared to death. And here's why Nehemiah was so scared. There was a law in Persia that you could never enter into the king's presence sad because you were with the king. And so that should ultimately 
automatically make you happy. Now, husbands or working wives, when we come home, isn't that what we truly want to be a law in our house, right? Like, I come home, you have to be happy in my presence because I'm home. I know I do that sometimes. Well, the king just did it for the entire kingdom, okay? You're with me, you should be happy. Have you ever said that? Honey, why are you sad? You're, you're with me. Like, I'm very confused. Maybe not. I'm only eight years into marriage, and I'm learning as I go. Don't ever say it. But being sad in the king's presence was punishable by, by death. So this was a big deal. He was terrified, but he couldn't hide his emotion, his feeling. He knew the people in Jerusalem, and he loved them, and he came in with his eyes red and bloodshot. He was probably gaunt because he hadn't eaten. He looked bad. He said, but he didn't let his fear stop him, and great leaders never let their fear stop them. You can just put that in your notes. There's a little extra. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. And leaders, if you're you're followers of God, can I talk to you for a second? This is key. It's not in your notes, but you might want to write down. We want to pray about every decision. Not just the big, should I acquire that uh, company? Should we move? Leaders want to pray about every decision because God doesn't want to just be involved in our church life or our family life or our financial life. God wants to be involved in our business life and our leadership life as well. And Nehemiah got it, so he prayed to God. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city of Judah. And Judah and Jerusalem are going to be interchanged through this entire story because Jerusalem is in Judah. So there's just some context for it. It's kind of like saying I live in Sonoma County or I live in Petaluma. It's it's the bigger context for where they are. When the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried has, uh, let me go to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Verse 6, the king with his queen sitting beside him, the king looked to the queen and said, what do you think? And she said, do it. So he said, okay, because he's smart. Ask me, how how long will this journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And next week, Ron, Pastor Ron is going to pick up on the story when when he gets to Jerusalem. But for now, I just want to hammer in on a couple other things. Fueled by Nehemiah's knowledge of the people and his love for the people, he goes in and he casts a bold vision. And by vision, I simply mean this. I would define vision as a preferred picture of the future. He says, I have a picture of the future. Right now, the wall lays in rubble. Its gates have been burned, but I can see because I love the people, because I know what God can do in their lives. I want to rebuild the wall. I have a picture of the future. And all of us have a preferred picture of the future in areas of our lives. If we really dig deep enough, you have a preferred picture of the future when it comes to your marriage. You know what you want your marriage to look like in 10 years. When it comes to your kids, you know what you want your kids to look like in 10 years. It might be buried down deep, but we all have somewhere in there. We know what we want. We want the future to look like. That's vision. You have vision for your marriage. You have vision for your kids. You might just not know the steps on how to get there, and we're going to look at that in this series. And we have vision for our company, for our business, for our career. We know where we want to go. All great leaders have vision, but Nehemiah's vision is different. Nehemiah is a textbook case of vision because his vision is fueled by his love for the people, not by his bottom line. And I would say this. This is our final leadership principle. Great leaders, not just good leaders, but great leaders, develop a vision that will benefit the people that they love. 
and here's, here's the trick of it, even at personal cost to the leader. Even at personal cost to the leader. What I want to do for the next five or ten minutes as we wrap our time up together is this. I want us to start thinking in terms of people. Because we're going to go through the series for six or seven weeks, and it would be so easy to talk about leadership theoretically out there. But I want to, when we talk about this phrase, leadership or influence, I want us to be picturing the people that we influence, because leadership is influence. So I have three questions that I'd like you to take home and think about this week, so that when you come back in next week, you're thinking about actual people in the context of this topic. And the first one is this, who are you leading right now? Take this question home and just think about it. Who are you? Make a list. If you're married, on some level, you're leading your spouse. It goes both ways because you're influencing your spouse. If you have children, whether they're grown children or adolescent children, on some capacity, if you have influence in their life, you are leading your children. If you are a grown child and you have influence in your parents' life, you are influencing, you are leading your parents in some capacity. And in the workplace, we're all influencing someone. So the question becomes who? Who am I leading? And just make a list of it. The second question is this. Do I love the people that I'm leading? Here's how you could define that if you just want to write it down. Do I want what's best for them? Do I want what's best for them? Even at the expense of my bottom line. Even if it costs me something. And the third is this. Do I have a vision that will benefit them? Do I know them? Do I love them? Do I have vision for them? Those are the three questions I want us to talk about this week. And just to to put some practical kind of feet to this, I want to give two examples of what this could look like. I want to talk to you if you're a business owner or a manager right now. Here's your three questions. Who are my people? Well, if you're an owner or a manager, your people are the people who work for you. You have customers, but they're a secondary person. Your primary people are the people working for you right now. Who are my people? Question, second question is, do I love them? Do I love the people in my business that I manage? Do I want what's best for them? Do I see the potential in them? Do I spend my time thinking about where they are and where they could be? Do I love the people that I lead? I'm telling you, if you, even if you just changed that or we just grew in that, you would become the most popular boss that your company has ever had. Because you know how rare it is for a supervisor to actually love the people that they lead? That's the kind of company we all want to work for. That's the kind of teacher we all want to have for our kids, isn't it? A teacher who actually loves the kids, who thinks about them, who cares for them. And the third question is this, do you have a, a vision that benefits them? And if you're a business leader, here's what that vision could look like. Are you looking for ways to add value to their lives? Whether it's through training or resourcing. Do you keep having people come to you saying, I need this, I need this, I need this to do my job, and you just keep saying, no, it doesn't fit in the bottom line? As a leader, we need to be looking out for them and have a vision that would benefit them. How do we resource the people that we lead? How do we care for the people that we lead? And I'm going to give us, as we wrap our time up, a great resource. If you're a leader in our city, in our community, If you're a business leader, a great resource for you. If you're a ministry leader, if you influence anyone, this is a great training resource that I want to give to you. And the second one is this, and this is where it gets kind of fun because uh, this hits us on a broad spectrum. Let's talk about, let's talk about home for a second. Who are the people that you lead at home? Well, if you have kids, it's your kids. 
So just write down my kids. You can put their names. Second question is this. Do you love them? Now, don't skip over this one. Don't skip over this one. I'm not talking about tolerate. I'm not talking about giving them three meals a day and a bed. The prison system will do that for them later if you don't love them now. So, it's just too much? Okay. Three squares and a bed is not love. That is a basic human need. Great. Do you love them? Do you love them? When was the last time you sat down with your kid and you genuinely had a sense, boy, I believe in you. My little, my little man, Landon, oh, I love this kid. Our daughter, Maddie, she's like a rule follower. It's like you say, honey, you need to do this. She goes and does it. Then she does some dishes on top of it just to be helpful. You know, it's like, that's Maddie. Landon is, he's going to be a great leader someday. And here's how I know. He's just got a lot of his own opinions about things, like a lot at age four, a lot. And sometimes I spend all my time tolerating him, trying to shape him and direct him and do this and do that. Come on, buddy, stay in line. Let's, you know, you don't need to go swimming in the Petaluma River. We need to be here, you know, like, ugh. We spend all our time directing our kids. And I forget to actually love my son. But then sometimes I just remember how awesome he is. Like when he's sitting in his Spider-Man bed shooting webs at me when I'm kissing him goodnight. It's awesome. And I'll just grab his head and I'll look at him. I say, buddy, you are my favorite man in the world. And he puffs up real big and he goes, and you're my favorite dad in the world. I'm not going to tell him I'm his only dad. (laughs) But he just, you watch the life come into him. Do you want to watch the life come back into your kids? Genuinely love them. You'll figure, we'll figure out the rest together as we go. But, but kids know when they're being tolerated. They know when we're just trying to get stuff done and get them out of the way. Love them. And then you have a vision for them. And here's what a vision for them that benefits them looks like, as opposed to a vision that benefits me. A vision that benefits me looks something like this. I need to get my kids to stop fighting so I can have five minutes of peace and quiet. That's a vision that benefits me. Here's a vision that's very similar, but it benefits them. I need to train my kids on how to communicate well with each other and stop fighting. Because if they don't learn that skill now at four and six, they will have to learn it at 18 or 20 or 30 in a marriage or at their job or with the police. And the police are a lot tougher than dad is. So I want to train my kids to learn how to communicate well and not let their anger come out in an unhealthy way now because it will benefit them in the future. And by the way, a side note, you'll get five minutes of peace and quiet. That's just an added bonus. But you have a vision that benefits your kids, not us. Great leaders do. So ask those questions this week. Ask those questions this week. And here's what I want to I want to wrap our time. This idea of leadership, being about people and about loving people and having vision for people, it it did not originate with Nehemiah. It definitely didn't originate with me. It originated with God. We're told over and over again in the Bible that of the billions of people that live on this world, God knows you and you and you and you. And he sees you. And here's the incredible thing. He loves you. Think about that. God knows you. He sees you. He loves you. And we're told that God has a great vision for your life. In fact, this was how Jesus summed up why he came to this world. In Luke chapter 19, 
Verse 10, he said this, for he's referring to himself as the Son of Man. He says, even the Son of Man, or, or for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that person that was lost. And I love that Jesus didn't say, my mission and my vision is to start a global movement that would be the largest, most powerful, most impactful movement in human history. That actually is true about the church and what God's doing in the church. But his mission was about seeing a person, loving a person, and then he says, finding a person who's lost, which is kind of like this. It's kind of like God is like a heavenly father who's running through the streets, chasing after a runaway child, saying, come back, come back, come back. And when God sees you in the, in the alley by yourself, cold and afraid, God's like a heavenly dad who runs up and grabs you in his arms and loves you. That's what he means when he says, seek and save that which was lost. Because we're told that there are certain things that we say, that we think, that we dwell on, and that we do that are hurting us that are separating us from God and that are hurting the people we love the most. And the Bible calls those things, it calls it sin. It says that we are born with this sin inside of us that is hurting us, hurting those we love, and it's separating us from God. And so God came on a rescue mission to seek and save us because we were lost apart from him so that we could have a relationship with him and experience his forgiveness and experience his power in our lives. And if you're here today, and God's always been out there at arm's distance, more like a distant deity than a, a personal father. I want to invite you, accept God's love, embrace God's forgiveness, and partner with God in this life. And here's how you can start that journey. I'm going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to pray for all of us that God would give us the courage to take this leadership journey together. And then I'm going to pray for you if you've never said yes to a relationship with God, to taking that journey with him. And I'm going to give you a chance to repeat a prayer of commitment back to God, saying, God, I want to have a relationship with you, and I want to accept your forgiveness in my life. And if you're ready to make that decision, you can whisper that prayer with me, or you can just say it in your head, because the great thing is God hears you right where you are, and you can start that journey with him. So can we join together? Let's just, let's close our eyes, and let's close our time in prayer. First, I want to pray for everybody, then I want to pray for you. If you're ready to start this relationship with God, Holy Spirit, I'm asking on behalf of our community that you would help us in this series to recognize who we influence, that you would grow our love for the people that we lead, that we influence, and that you would help us to grow in our vision for them in a way that would empower and benefit the people we lead, even if it would cost us something. Because God, that's, that's the model you gave to us. You know us, you love us, and you have a vision for our life that costs you your very son. And God, would you help us to be people who influence the cities where we live, the cities that we love, in positive and powerful ways because we know and we love and we serve the people that we lead. Help us to identify those people this week so that when we come back next week, we have pictures and names in mind as we continue this leadership journey. And as we continue to pray, if you're ready to start that relationship with God, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. It's a, a prayer of commitment where you would commit your life to partnership with God, where you would experience his grace and his forgiveness and his love. And if you're ready to make that decision, you can repeat this prayer after me. Just whisper it where you're sitting, or you can just say it in your head. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me 
I believe that you know me. I believe that you have plans for me. And I want to take this journey with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk through life with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me today, I'm so excited for you. I've been praying for you this week. Uh, I want to pray for you this coming week as you walk out this new life with God. Um, And here's how we could do that. I want everybody to grab this card, the Start Here card. Remember, I mentioned to you that we would be doing some things with this as we wrapped our time up together. This is that time. We've got about five more minutes together. And if you made that decision, if you prayed that prayer with me, in the middle of our notes, of our card, it says, Apply Today's Teaching. And that first one is for you. It says, I'm entering into a first-time relationship with God through Jesus. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you mark that on your card so I can pray for you by name this week and so we can get some resources into your hand to help you on this journey. The second one is this, and you're going to need to take your teaching notes home for it. It says, I'm going to explore the places that I'm currently leading and ask those three questions. Who do I lead? Do I love them? Do I have a vision for them? Just to get a baseline of where you are in your leadership and your influence of other people. If you would do that, mark that on your card because that will shape the way you think about the rest of the series. And the third one is this. On August, uh, I believe it's 6th and 7th, it's a Thursday and Friday, we are hosting a satellite of the largest leadership conference in the world called the Global Leadership Summit. It's got the best leaders and communicators both inside the Christian world and outside of the Christian world. We've had people like Colin Powell speak at this. Um, We've had a number of different leaders in all venues speak at this. Uh, It starts, it's hosted in Illinois by a church called Willow Creek, and they put on this leadership summit that goes around the world once a year. And this year, we're going to be a satellite host for it. And we don't get anything for being a satellite. In fact, we invest resources into it because we believe it's such a great and valuable resource for you that we want to host it here so you don't have to travel to get to it. And if you'd like information about the Global Leadership Summit, would you mark on your card at the bottom that you want some information? And Pastor Ron or someone on the summit team will make sure to get information to you this week about how you can sign up, the cost. You can get online and look at it. Uh, If you're just dying to get some information outside these doors to see some Global Leadership Summit flyers you can take with you and get online and look at it. But I'm telling this to you now because this takes place on a Thursday and a Friday in August, and you're going to need to get some time off, most of us, to be able to go to it. So don't wait till the last minute to hope to do that. I want you to do it now. Well, in just a second, we'll be turning in these cards. We'll also be receiving our tithes and offerings. So if you came prepared to give, you can get your tithes and offerings ready. You can drop them in the envelope inside your program, or I believe we have a uh, a text to give slide. You can actually text to give if that'd be easier for you as well. And I did put these uh, commitment cards from last week from our Me to We series back in here because a number of you asked me if I would so that you could put your commitment down for the next 12 months. No pressure. This is just for those of you who have already made that decision but didn't get a chance to fill it out last week. You could do that as well. You'll drop all three of those things in the basket when it's passed. One last thing while you're getting all of that ready, 
One week from today, we're having a worship and missions night. It's going to be at five o'clock for about an hour, I think, here at New Life. Powerful worship, so good. And then we're going to highlight and talk about briefly the missions organizations that New Life supports and the things that God's doing both locally and globally through your generosity. And I just want us to come. So mark your calendar. That's going to be a great night. And I'm looking forward to that. And if you have kids and will need childcare, on the bottom of your card, it says, I'm going to attend. And here are my kids, the number of kids I'm bringing and their ages. So you could write that down and then we'll know to make sure we have plenty of childcare workers for your kids. Well, I'm going to pray and then we'll pass those baskets. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to wrap up our time of worship by practicing generosity. Would you use these resources uh, to um, break down barriers that would keep our cities that we love from encountering you because I know you love the cities where we live. And Lord, would you use these resources also ultimately to impact uh, the entire world? God, thanks for this chance to give. Amen. Amen. So we're passing those baskets. You're dropping in your various things. Uh, I will say, I'm not a numbers guy, but here's one more number that I think you need to know about. About a month ago, someone from our Mexico missions team, we're going to do a house building and an orphanage trip in Mexico in, uh, a little bit later on this summer. And someone from the teams came and said, we really would like to take glasses down, prescription glasses, sunglasses, because there are people who are going to be caring for and serving who can't read simply because they don't have prescription glasses. And they'd only gathered like maybe five or six pair of glasses. So one Sunday, I just said to our church, wouldn't it be cool if your old glasses that are sitting in a closet somewhere that you don't use could be used by someone so they could read for the first time, so they could read to their kids for the first time. Church, you've given, I think, over a hundred pair of glasses since I made that one announcement. That's pretty awesome. And I say roughly a hundred because we had like 80 pair, and then someone just brought in huge bags into this service and just put them in the back. So that is, I just love that we don't just, we don't just give generously. We live generously as a church. That is such a cool thing. Hey, next week, Pastor Ron's going to be picking up this story when Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and he sees that the city's actually in worse shape than he thought it was. And he said, what do you do when you lead something and you realize that it's in worse shape than you thought? There's some really practical things there that you're not going to want to miss. It's going to be a powerful weekend. God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.